0: And... Black Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody, to another live edition of the Direct Snap. Tonight rocking with me is my boy Dave West, your draft insider. Unfortunately, guys, <clears throat> Mr. McMullen is still out taking care of business. So it'll just be your boys tonight. Sorry we missed you last week, but as we explained, sometimes, you know, the off season we are also some busy fellas, had some things to take care of, but we are back. <clears throat> And we are back, and we are ready to talk about the draft, about the combine, about pre-agency. Uh, we took the week off, and it was a busy week to take off, but it leaves a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, but first and foremost, as always, we like to see how everybody's doing. How you doing tonight, Dave? I'm doing wonderful. It's a
1: wonderful night. Uh, you know, it's been a really good week. The combine was great. Uh, guys, if you want to join the conversation, seven one four three zero two again seven one four three three zero two or just us up on official um, send us a question. Um this is Joe and I's cup um you know pretty much our best material um for the year. I mean the drink Snap has great stuff but you know you're getting prime grade A stakes right here on the dead snap with draft coverage. So
0: Absolutely, my brother, I cannot agree with you more, and uh, it's been, as I said, it's been an interesting week, Dave, um, we went through the NFL Combine, um, we have finished the NFL Combine, and as always, there are some guys who impress, some guys who don't impress, some guys who stock soars, some fall, some dramatically tumble. A couple of times you'll get a few of those. Where did that guy come from? And that's what we love about the combine. But this year was – i and Dave, I feel that you will definitely agree with me in this. This year was a little different. Um, And you even kind of said it to me the other day in terms of there's always something to gain from the combine. There's always something to gain from Indianapolis in the process, but it felt like compared to previous years, there wasn't as much to be shown and that impressed at the combine this year. Um, We had a lot of players, a lot of players, either skip the 40, skip position drills, skip half the drills, go out with injury, you know, this, that, and so on, and that was one of the biggest things to me. So that's what I'm going to talk about for a second. Is that, To me, it, when you saw some of the top receivers and linemen and, and just pl- top players in the country skipping position drills or skipping drills or not doing everything, it just seemed like they were honestly more than anything protecting themselves as if the players honestly don't necessarily feel like the combine is the most welcoming process knowing that there's a lot of things that can go wrong, knowing a bad workout will kill your stock, a bad interview will kill your stock, that a lot of these guys prefer to wait for their pro day. Um, And I want to get your opinion on that, Dave. I guess your opinion on that and how you feel about that, what I just said, and what really stood out to you this year from the Combine. What stood out to me? Well,
1: actually I wanted to discuss what you were just talking about. Um, guys skipping out drills, doing this and that. Okay. I totally understand if you want to go there and be interviewed and you want to respect your um you know, wait for your pro day and stuff like that. But I'm um, by the selection committee should do a better job of finding guys that actually want to participate in the drill. Um a multi million dollar event each year. I mean, you have the people scouts tuning in anywhere to actually NFL scouts that don't go to it, even though most of them are on the road at this point. It's just the fact that if you're not actually being a top pick, if you're going to be there and do a few drills, yeah, okay. But I feel like the online team, they could do a better job What some opportunity um more so than just throw it out the window nothing, and that bothers me. Um, you know, I was a well-run. Uh, you know, certain guys will do it, and they help themselves. Um, you know, what stood out to me this week, just, you know, the quarterback group um, this year, there's a lot of surprises at running back. Uh, you know, wide receivers really didn't impress me. Uh, the, there was a few guys that stood out, but... And now, Alien. we'll probably talk about him a little bit. Pretty much set the tone to be the, the big DB of the week. Um, and then you have other guys that kind uh, of uh, flew under the radar that, you know, made themselves known this week. Um, you know, with one thing, one thing with another, it's so hard to say with interviews who smashed it out of the park while other people so well. Um sources that, that Jared Goff had a really bad week interviewing, but he looked great on the field. Uh, you know, I've heard that. But then other sources have told me Jared Goff nerves getting to him at the beginning of the week, or he just didn't know how to answer certain questions. It could have been anything. And, you know, my sources are all over the place. I don't have a specific go-to guy, but – or a woman. Uh, there are great people in the league that are women that have a pretty good connection pipe. But what stood out to me this week is that there wasn't, to me, and Joe, I, I'm putting this at um, you and, you know, thinking about it. It seemed that people were pretty consistent this year. There wasn't just like a guy that just like, wow, he was a freak you know the wide receivers ran what they were supposed to around the four 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 five. Most of them did pretty well in drills. I mean, there wasn't like this wow factor this year. Everyone seemed to do their their job and leave. It wasn't like oh well, five guys ran over a four seven and they suck. No, most of the receivers ran around four 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 five this year. There's a few guys under that were expected to run like Kobe Elisebe from TCU track star. He ran a four three one. That was actually a little bit slower than some people anticipated. They said he might contend with the actual combine 40 record set by Chris Johnson and unofficially Bo Jackson back in the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll go there. I'll say Bo Jackson. But, uh, you know, talk to me, Joe. I really think that this year people are consistent. It's like colleges are more... With what they need to do. Trainers know what they, they're trying to get the best out of their clients. And the numbers showed. There wasn't any just uh, – uh,
0: You know what? Actually, yeah, let me take a chance here. I, I agree in terms of there was nobody that was super flashy. Um, uh, Keith Marshall, Georgia, just going to shout this out here, BPS client, Bomarito Performance Studios. Guys, if you take a look at the NFL Combine um, and – look at some of what were the top performers in certain drills, you will find a lot of BPS clients. Uh, for those of you who may not know or didn't catch it, uh, about a year, year and a half ago or so, we actually had uh, the owner and president of BPS, Pete Bomarito, on our show to uh, give us kind of an inside look at what it was like to train these guys, to get them ready for the draft, to get them ready for the NFL season um, so give him a shout, give him a look up on Facebook, Bob Marito Performance, you know, Uh They train some of the best athletes in the NFL. Uh, they are a big part of training a lot of athletes for the Combine. Honestly, that's something that Pete really specializes in, and the studio specializes in, is getting guys ready for the NFL Combine. Um, Marshall, one of his clients, um, some of his other clients in, in the pros, uh, Rashad Jennings, Greg Olson. Frank Gore, LaShawn McCoy, this guy trained, you know, the best of the best in the the league. And it was definitely telling, like you said, to see not necessarily a lot of guys do real poorly, not a lot of guys do real well. Just a lot of guys just do solid, you know, normal, maybe a little bit above average. Um, But the thing that really stood out to me was, honestly, the wide receiver group. Um, We didn't see Laquan Fredwell's 40-yard dash. So, you know, TBD, TBD, we didn't see Corey Coleman's 40-yard dash. Um, We did see Michael Thomas. We did see several other players. But the thing was is that nobody really blew us away. Uh, NFL.com's draft guru and and senior analysis Mike, the truth mayock, uh, was quoted as saying he believes this may be one of the slowest uh, receiver classes that he's ever seen. Um, how do you feel about that? You know, like you said, you felt a lot of the guys performed pretty solidly. Do you think this crop of wide receivers, I guess, let me broaden broaden the question a little bit. Do you think this crop of incoming receivers, you know, we've talked about them, like I said, Treadwell, Coleman, Thomas, uh, Josh Dox, uh, Tyler Boyd, um, you know, there are a lot of potential Players in this class, but overall, do you see this being one of the weakest classes that we've seen in a while, or what? What is it about this class? You, how do you feel about it? Oh, well,
1: you know, I'm actually gonna go right back to Keith Marshall real quick. Shout out—he was actually at the College clear Showcase. Was the game I was actually working um back in January. I know I told the Direct Snap family I had a bowl game too. Um, that I was working. Keith Marshall is at our game. So shout out to him and Keith Marshall running a 4 3 1. Anywho, to me, I, I have to disagree with Mike Mayock. I mean, I thought a lot of guys this week truly improved their stock. Um, yeah, there's no just clear front runner of a guy that's a Calvin Johnson, AJ Green. They say, you know, Trent Wells the guy, but. You know, he didn't compete. It's kind of hard to say that, you know, he was the guy when he didn't really do much at the combine this week. He interviewed. Uh, I just, I have to disagree with me. I mean, you're looking at most of these guys ran, you know, in the four fours, four fives. Um, You know, yeah, there were some slow guys in there. Um, some are bigger guys. Um, there's just... I agree with Mayock in the sense that it's not a super, super, like, elite class. There's not a whole bunch of guys up at the top of the board that are going to say, wow, you know, those are the guys, Dez Bryant, A.J. Green type. Uh, Treadwell's going to be a very good receiver, and uh, it's knock on him. But, you know, I think other guys in this class, the value's going to come later in the rounds, rounds three, four, five, those are the guys that are gonna come out of this class making, you know, superstar names. Uh Joe and I talked about this earlier off air on Facebook. We talk about football all day people. We don't just talk about it once a week. I mean it's probably once every other day, Joe, we talk about something football related. Um, at least. Uh, we talked about Smith from Ohio State, like he he's not an elite talent. Uh, I, I compared him to Devin Thomas who came out a few years ago from Michigan State. I just With me, I agree with Mayock that it's a disappointing class, but I think there's a ton of really good value in late rounds with receivers this year. And there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to get picked up rounds three through six that are probably going to make an impact for a team. That's what I feel.
0: I'm a little – I'll be honest. I'm a little um, wish-washy when it comes to the receiver class this year. <clears throat> I was a little wish washy to last year's class, um, and we saw that I obviously they did not perform quite as well. I only really hit my old school paper big board here, as Dave knows. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And you look at some of the receivers in this class, um, we've already discussed several of them. Um there's Will Fuller as well, Notre Dame, Braxton Miller out of Ohio State um one guy that's gonna be a mid round guy who who you know not necessarily even really flashed a ton at the combine but has shown up a lot in workout videos um south carolina's steryl cooper um uh, there and then you get some of the the later later round guys um you guys like you wilson uh kenny Lawler, uh Kioris, or, K- oh man it's so hard to say his name Key uh, K, K-, K-, K- Yours Garrett of Tulsa. Um, And then there's also, you know, as we always know, those late-round flyer guys that do really well. When I look at the the overall body, after about the first six, seven players, even then to me, a lot of those players, I have a second-round grade on. So kind of like you said, Dave, the way that I feel about this class isn't necessarily that it's it's weaker necessarily even – too, too slow. I think Treadwell, Coleman, Fuller, Miller, Boyd are all pretty darn good athletes. Doxton's a pretty, pretty stout player in his own right. But I just think that these are guys, like you said, middle round value. These are guys well, that are your slot receivers. These are guys that you do build your franchise on because they still are going to be reliable. But these are the guys that take two to three years to transition to a system before it pays off in mind. Well,
1: I I want to bounce this off um, everyone real quick. I mean, there's certain guys that I feel like are just going to come back and be complete studs. I mean, I'm looking at Sterling Shep, Shepard from Oklahoma. Uh, a lot of people knew about him coming in, that he's a playmaker. Uh, there's a certain team that almost won the Super Bowl that is Sterling. They might take him in the second round. The Panthers are looking at him on one of the favorites in this year's draft, and a lot of people – just, I guess, overlook him from UCLA is um, Jordan Payton. I think this kid's going to be, you know, the sneed of this year. He's going to be the kid that's going to get on the right team. I would love him in Miami. We need another good pass catcher like Jarvis Landry. I think he could come out and um, just low off the top. I mean, he's he's deceptively fast. Uh, he's got great hands. And then you go to peak from Clemson. This kid is a big target. Last year, uh, Martavius Bryant was the same kind of deal. Everyone's like, well, you know, I don't know how he's going to do. Uh, he's kind of raw and this and that. I think he, he can do the same thing. Um, just because people, for some reason, um, dog Clemson receivers, they come back to bite them. I mean, it happens every year. And I got asked <laughs> the uh, earlier last year was Mikhail Mikhail McKay from Cincinnati. Now he has a quarterback that is pretty good, but he has a lot of injury past and he's transferred Gunner Kale. He'll probably come out next year. Um he's a lot like Ryan Tannehill in some sense. Um keep an eye out for him. But you know, Mikhail four, um, a little small. Um he's like Martavius Bryant. Uh, don't overlook his playability, big body, um, big hands. He he's got a huge catch radius. Uh, Certain wide receiver, and even I've heard a lot of buzz, even from my scouting friend just earlier who I talked to. Yes, I talked to scouts. Um, Alonzo Russell from Toledo is flying up boards for his huge catch radius and for his knack to go up and get it. Um, You know, kind of like Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall, a lot of people know that he was kind of a later pick, but he came out and he really went after it. Uh, I could see. Alonzo Russell has the same effect. Now, I'm not saying he is Brandon Marshall, and I'm not comparing him to, but he has the same type of value that he he's a mid-round pick that could eventually be a superstar. Um,
0: I definitely love the um, Sterling Shepard drop, but I love those names as well because every year, every year, there are always a couple of guys that get those late-round flyers that, you know, to, to to your average fan, flying up boards would be you know first second round, but flying up boards for a lot of these guys is going from undrafted to being you know guys who are fifth to seventh round considerations, and that's huge. And we've seen plenty of guys like a guy who we'll talk about a little bit later that got cut this week, and Marcus Colston, who you know seventh round draft pick went on to be the most productive receiver uh, in Saints history. So uh, this is the time where you see those those diamonds in the rough, those guys from some smaller schools that have the ability. Like you said, some of them that just have that innate ability to to go and play ball, to be a good receiver. The things like catch radius, the the fight for the fifty fifty balls. That's what's important in today's NFL. With the vertical offense is the way they are, and teams wanting to push the ball downfield so much more often. You just have to have it. You have to have the ability to have a guy who can go up and fight for the 50-50. So, I think that when you look overall at this class, though, it's not as impressive as in the last two years. And I think that's a big reason why people kind of look at it with that, oh, you know, you know, that it's like the the little brother of the last few years of receiver classes. And I understand that, but like you said, there are some names, there are some guys more than people see that could be impact players coming out of this receiver class. Um, I will give a shout out and break down a little bit. um, Our co-host who can't be with us tonight, his favorite receiver, child's favorite receiver in this class is Laquan Treadwell out of Ole Miss. Six, three, about two fifteen ish. Um, He's, you know, big, but he's athletic. He's got a good catch radius. Um, he's uh he's stronger than than Meets the Eye. Uh but it is interesting to see again, we talked about it. he didn't run the forty, he will um perform at Old Mrs. Pro Day. Um, there's also potentially some questions about things that his teammate Robert Kendici may or may not have said about his potential involvement. In some of the activities and incidences that surrounded the program this year. Um, so there'll be some things to look at with Quan, but he's definitely one of, if not the top prospect in the receiver class. But moving on, um, Dave, the one thing that we both agreed on in terms of being more impressive, kind of moving away from what people felt was less impressive, was the overall athleticism of the defensive line prospects this year and how deep this draft is at defensive line. You you look at between, you know, outside and inside players in this draft, you you realistically have at least almost 12 potential, 14 potential first-round picks just on the defensive line, just on the defensive line alone. So there's a few players that I want to get your opinion on. Um, and especially after the combine and just just in general, um, one of the first ones, just because of the, the constant comparisons that he keeps getting. But when you look at mock drafts, when you look at where he's, you know, if he was really as good as they think this guy could be, you think he'd be going a little bit higher. And that's Sheldon Rankins out of Louisville. Um, I want to get your opinion on this guy. People compare him, keep comparing him, mind you, to Aaron Donald, um, who was a high first-round pick, went 10 overall to the Rams, one defensive rookie of the year, been a pro bowler, and honestly a, a freaking stud so far in his his short career. Um, but when you look at Mox, when you look at the rankings, guys like Jerron Reed, uh, Ashon Robinson, those guys are higher up on the board. DeForest Buckner, you know, those type of players are way higher up than a guy like Sheldon Rankins. But if he's got this this Aaron Donald potential, then why isn't he flying up the board? I don't want to get your opinion on Sheldon Rankins.
1: You know, I, I think it's not a bad thing to compare to – and Joe and I have talked about this off air before – If you're going to compare someone to a person in the NFL, you better bring the facts straight. And I think it's a little bit lofty to put Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, you could see it on tape. Um, All year people knew Aaron Donald was a top 10 guy, you know, or a top 20 guy. They knew. With this, for me, I think the value is a little bit too high. I think he has a lot of potential to be, you know, really special but it's kind of lofty to put that kind of tag on him I think he has a nice short area quickness is you know very good but the way the closing speed Aaron Donald has is what separates him he looks honestly like a linebacker on the defensive line and to put him up there with Aaron Donald would be I think a little bit too high um I haven't really gave him a straight-up comparison yet because I'm still working on all the comparisons for this draft class. That's a ton of work, people. I mean, it takes me nearly two hours to find just one person for one player comparison usually. Um, Just that's how I do it. I take my time to look at it. To put it Aaron Donald this quick is a little premature. Aaron Donald was a rare talent, and you don't see guys move like Aaron Donald. That's what I feel.
0: I agree. I completely agree. To me, you you look at Sheldon cuz yes, he had a uh, OK senior mold before he got hurt. Um and then he went to the combine, did yeah. all right. Um, but he, he is a little bit of that smaller mold, you know, he's just under three hundred, um, six foot one. He he can be disruptive, but I just don't see him being as disruptive as an Aaron Donald type figure. I think that, you know, when he gets to the NFL, he he's got it. Like you said, not many interior linemen can move like Aaron Donald can move. He takes the lack of size necessarily to play against, even though he is you know a, a well-built lineman. He takes that and makes up for it with incredible technique and phenomenal athleticism inside. And I just don't think I see that in Sheldon Rankins. I don't. He's not quite as a. Yeah, the way I would put it, if you're going to compare him at all to Aaron Donald, we need to put the two words poor man in front of it. Poor man's Aaron Donald. You know, I don't think that he's that potential in my opinion. And, and let's talk about a guy that you and I have talked about today. And honestly, I'm a little interested in discussing your ceiling. Um, but that's Joey Bosa. Uh, We have talked about Bosa quite a few times on this show. We've talked about Bosa quite a few times between you, Tyler, and I. Um, But we all kind of agree, and we all have agreed for about the last at least six to eight months that he's not really, in our opinion, an elite pass rusher, especially at the next level. Um, He came in thinner at the Combine but his numbers, despite him coming in lighter, did not reflect the athleticism, you know, initially of an elite pass rusher. Everybody's going to say, well, his numbers match J.J. J. Watt. Don't ever insult J.J. J. Watt by comparing Joey Bosa to him ever again, ever. I, I'm sorry, but that's just, to me, it's absolutely ludicrous to bring any comparisons to a three-time Defensive Player of the Year and arguably the best defensive player in the NFL to a kid who, in my opinion, is quite obvious he will never reach that feeling, ever. Um, and for multiple reasons. One, he's immature. Two, um, he doesn't max himself out to the full potential. Three, he's cocky. All three of those things, in my opinion, don't, don't add up well right away for an NFL career. He's going to have to take his lumps. He's going to have to get beat before he realizes he needs to get better. Um, And when I saw the combine with Bosa, wasn't necessarily even all that bad. Um, But for me, it was the the interviews, the arrogance, and then the inability to take criticism. Um, He... You know, he started the to combine. I mean, granted, all these guys it, but he, the thing that got me was the way that he ended it. If you don't think you're the best player here, there's something wrong with you. No, no, you don't have to put it that way. Do you, do you, should you have a lot of confidence? Yes. Should you be arrogant? No. And that's where I draw a line. And then you look at, you know, the the fact that he didn't necessarily interview well. Um, you know, from certain certain sources and certain reports. He didn't have great interviews. And then after the combine, being heavily criticized for, you know, the weak workout. And then we all know Internet trolls can be annoying. We all know Internet trolls will get on your nerves. We all know that when you are headed towards the NFL and you play in the NFL, you're held to a higher standard. And a higher standard does not include – ripping your critics beyond belief publicly on social media before you've ever been drafted. To me, just shows immaturity. Um, so I want to discuss real quick for one of the last times before the draft, unless he does something super boneheaded um, until we get to doing more mocks, is uh, I think we have slightly different opinions on his ceiling. Um, but you look at a guy like Joe, in my opinion, uh, I think he is a quality starter, and that I do feel pretty pretty solid about that. He's a guy who could play all 16 games. He's not going to be a D guy. He's not going to be the piece that puts you over the top. But can he be a quality guy to pair with your number one? Absolutely. Can he wreak some havoc if paired on a really good front? Absolutely but I always think he'll be that second, third, fourth pass rushing option. Um, so that being said, I, I look at Joey Bosa, um, and I see I, – it's so hard for me, honestly. I, I honestly feel like he's the type of guy, you know, we said it before, I see four to six sacks a year, you know, finishing his career out maybe with like 60, 70 sacks by the time he's done – and having a solid career, but not a Hall of Fame career. Um, like you said, I haven't really put a player, per, uh, player comparison quite yet on this guy. Um, but that's just the way that I feel it. So I see his feeling is not not a Hall of Famer, not a guy who's going to register in the top 20, 25 in sacks. He's going to be just another, you know, decent average 10-year starter. Um, but kind of what you said earlier was, was interesting to me, and I, mean, I kind of want to reflect on that is, uh, how do you feel about Bosa? How do you feel about his his stock coming out of the combine and how you feel he his his ceiling could translate into the NFL? Like what do you feel his ceiling is?
1: Well it, he definitely had an interesting week and um just for draft picks, uh inside info the Browns, Cowboys, Ravens, Saints, Titans, and I wanna say the Bucks met with Joey Bosa at the Combine. Uh, you heard it here on the Snap. Um, you know, I think it's feeling just as hot point, and I totally agree with most of your points, uh, the immaturity, um, the lack of, you know, just, um, I think if he can get past some of these things and really sit down and be a humble guy, I think he can be just like at at a max now. He'll never reach J.J. Watt. I'm sorry everyone. That comparison to J.J. Watt, it's unrealistic. J.J. is a different animal. His work ethic is totally different than Joey Bosa. And you didn't hear about J.J. Watt coming out of college. J.J. Watt was just – he was gifted. But people just – I mean, Texans got a steal where they got him at. Uh, But Joey Bosa, his ceiling can be Jared Allen. He will be effective. He will do his work. He might be relentless, and Jared Allen did what he did. I hate the white guys, to white guys, but it fits. I think he his ceiling can do that. But a guy, I really like him. at, he's a guy that is right up the line that you talked about, um, Joe. Just a kind of a guy that was known. He got the job done, but he maybe he only had fifty eight career sacks, a lot of strip um, sacks. He was a fifth-round pick. A lot of people don't know that. But um, I think he mainly compares to Aaron Campman that played for the Jaguars, Green Bay Packers. Um, He had two Pro Bowls. I think Joey Bosa fits that perfectly. It's not a knock on Bosa. Um, You know, Joey at the Combine, he weighed in at, I believe, hold on, I think 270, six five something up that line. Campman was about the same size by the time he retired. I think they have both about the same ability. I liked Aaron Campman. He wasn't an elite player, but he was well-known. I mean, teams had the game plan against him. Joey Bush is going to bring the same thing, but I think his value ultimately determines either if he's going to be on a 4-3 team or a 3-4 team because – that is a whole different ballgame. Uh, Three-four guys are pass rushers are so hard to find, it, it's unreal. But being his hand in the 4-3, I think the Cowboys might take a stab at him considering they've had a lot of troubles with some of their pass rushers. He might be there, but I'll, we'll probably talk about the Cowboys in just a little bit. That's what I feel, though. Bosa is probably set as an Aaron Campman type who will be a good starter like you said, Joe, but not a guy that's going to be a JJ Watt. Just clean that out of your mind. And if he surprises us with 12 sacks in his rookie year, so be it. I would love to tell me I'm wrong. Tell Joe, call in, you know, next year at this point, and say you were wrong about Joey Bosa. Joe and I will both say, hey, you know, you're right. You know, we got it wrong. No one gets it right every year. But Joe and I both firmly believe Joey Bosa will be a decent a good starter in the NFL. Aaron Campman, a guy that made an impact but wasn't just known across the league as a ferocious J.J.
0: Watt type. No, I agree. Honestly, I I feel like Jared Allen even is just a little too rich for my blood. Jared, he he started off slow. He ended slow. But the middle of his career, he was one of the most dominant pass rushers in the NFL, posted a 20-sack season. Um, he's, he's ninth all-time NFL in sacks, and I don't think Joey Bosa will ever sniff that. Um, but honestly, didn't even really think of that, but an Aaron Campman comparison is honestly almost perfect. Like, like literally is. Uh, not, you know, not too big, not too small. He's a decent-sized, you know, linebackers, almost-ish-sized lineman who, if you put his hand in the dirt, he'll be all right, and he may be eventually one day able to transition to playing, you know, standing up like Campman did towards the end of his career. But I, I think that's an incredibly good comparison, honestly. Um, and I think that if he has that type of career, he'll still, in my opinion, he'll still be looked at as a success. And if he can exceed that, then he's done better than, in my opinion, I've expected. Um, but like you said, Dave, it's not, you know, every year we get something wrong. Tyler and I, to this day, have to eat crow on Mike Evans. Uh, Neither one of us, and, well, we'll see this year, but so far, Kelvin Benjamin. um, Neither one of us were high on either of those receivers, and they both balled out in their rookie year. Evans, you know, had a little bit of a struggle last year with injury, but still played well enough. Um, But if you want to call in and tell us we're wrong now or call in and talk about the draft, the combine, or what we're going to be discussing soon, in uh, the NFL offseason. Give us a shout, 714-333-3302. Or you can give us a shout on Facebook, facebook.com backslash the official direct snap. Or give us a shout on Twitter, at direct underscore snap. Um, but they one more defensive lineman uh, that I want to talk about before we hit the linebackers in secondary real quick and then move on. Um, and that is... Uh, Robert Candice. Um he, he did not have a good combine. Um, Workout-wise, solid workout. Proved that he physically is every bit the player we expected him to be. Um, in every other department, though, he pretty much bombed. Um, terrible interviews. Uh, he essentially threw a lot of question marks at potential number one overall pick and former teammate Laramie Tunsil. Um, about the December incident where he fell out of the hotel window and there was marijuana involved, uh, saying simply that Laramie was present and at that party or at that event or what have you, a uh, social gathering. Um, and that words and murmurs have come out that he actually just really had very, very poor interviews and that there's, there are rumors that he threw not just Laramie but several Ole Miss teammates under the bus essentially in an attempt to refuse to take responsibility um, for the events that occurred in that time frame. Um, And with that being said, a lot of people have come out, especially today, came out and said that that Kimbicci could suffer from a Randy Gregory-esque fall in the draft in April. Um, And I want to get your opinion on that. Do you think – um a lot of us you know especially when it came down to it you know gregory was looked at as a top five top ten talent as well it's just like kim wasn't everything um similar issues related to marijuana um and just substance abuse etc and being immature do you think that kim Dichi could suffer a fall into the second round Um and do you think he really at this point has any good chance to repair his image before the draft
1: not only will he fall into the second round um Word on the wise today. This is from Matt Miller. I talked to him earlier today. Matt Miller, Bleacher Report. Everyone knows him as the um, NFL draft guy of, you know, the people. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are the draft people, but, you know, Matt Miller's kind of the draft folk, poor people. I talked to him earlier and a few others. Not only did Robert Kimdichie just destroy his first-round status, if any chance he had one, but also that teams are completely removing him off their board. And if you don't understand what I mean, I'll put this in simple English, Um, that NFL teams have a huge big board. Every position has a ranking. It could be any small school guy from Larry Butler. He could be above Kendall Brothers or, you know, so on and so forth. Each team ranks a guy according to how they feel. And if you get completely taken off their big board, you're up the creek without a paddle. And that's probably the worst thing that can happen to you as an NFL prospect. Will he tumble? Yes, I think so. A lot of people are going to be scared of these character issues, um, especially with the, the revealing and in the last five years of Randy Gregory, Johnny Mandel, Aaron Hernandez. Yes, I brought up Aaron Hernandez's name. That's been quite a while since anyone even said his name. But just to go back to the fact that character issues are becoming more more serious, M.D.T. could go anywhere from the uh, last of the first round to all the way to last with um, Collins. I mean, the kid was down to the get out. He, he was somewhat charged with, you know, it scared everyone away completely. He went undrafted to the Cowboys. And this is a little bit of... If, if on a, if I know that it's starting to become legalized. But still, in the NFL terms, you're making millions of dollars. They're giving you all guidelines to say, hey, you can't use these things. I think it would be a pretty good investment. I'm getting paid hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to play a sport I love and wow, it's foolish. Candice has not only destroyed his image as a first round talent, but he could possibly go as late as or early as round six and as late as being an undrafted um pick. I think teams would be a lot more comfortable picking them up after a draft knowing that if they cut them, it's not going to hurt as much because you know draft picks each year get cut, but this is a guy that I think is destroying his image. Will he go undrafted? More likely not. I think his value goes anywhere from round three to four. There's going to be a team like the Lions, the Raiders, um, the Redskins, Chargers, um. That will definitely want to take a look at him, I just think unless he becomes just sudden this angel at the pro day and he completely destroys everything um uh, just in a good way. I mean by that that more than likely his value goes anywhere from mid second round to top of the round four. That's my personal opinion, Robert Kimdichi, who at one time was considered one of a top five prospect in the NFL draft. It's kind of crazy how much things have changed within, I don't know, four months. So pretty much in since December. December. Say that again?
0: Pretty much since December. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but, I, I honestly, I have to agree. You, you look at two things. One, just the obvious red flags that have come up with with. uh and, and just, you know, two of the biggest things. One, NFL teams, when you go into an interview and one of the first things you do is rat out your teammates, to think that the NFL doesn't probably already know that Laramie was there, that Laquan was there, that whoever was there, if you think they don't know that already, that's kind of silly. You should know just by being where you're at that the NFL probably knows more about you than you've ever realized. I mean, Dave, I know you can agree with me. NFL teams do their homework, and they do a lot of homework, especially on top-end draft picks. So when you go in and all you do is throw blame to other people and try to make other people accountable and try to take the spotlight off of you, to them the only thing that shows is that you can't man up, that you can't be accountable for your own actions. They don't care about what Laramie did. They'll talk to Laramie about it. They don't care about what Laquan may have done. They'll talk to Laquan about it. What they want to know is what you did and why you did it and how you plan to address that problem moving forward. NFL teams want to see you be a man and take responsibility for your actions and show them that you have grown up and learned from it. And all they've gotten from Robert Candice is that he has done none of that that he doesn't believe that he's in the wrong, and that he just took the blame because he had to. That's not, you know, that's not what teams want to hear. That's not what teams want to hear. That's that's just giant red flags, and that he's thrown them up everywhere. And the other reason that he's going to fall and teams are going to be cautious, and like you said, Dave, some teams with these incidences and with these interviews will just erase that name right off the board, is because of guys like... Randy Gregory, guys like Johnny Manziel, guys like Kyle's not here so he can't yell at me, Josh Gordon and Justin Blackman. Guys who had potential, guys who could have been good starters, great starters, phenomenal players in the cases of Justin Blackman and Josh Gordon. But they they ruined investments for these teams. They set them back years because they couldn't ever get away from the red flags that they had coming into the draft. And more and more teams, like you said, they they just – it's not worth it anymore. It's not, you know, uh, you'll get a handful of teams now that will consider you in the later round. Like you said, last year, Lyle Collins. There was literally purely just a small amount of speculation – that was completely unfounded and unwarranted that he could be involved in the death of a woman, and it literally resulted in a fringe first-round prospect falling completely out of the draft. It's just a, it's a different beast now, and not only because these are high investments, but because of the age of social media and the age of instant info that we live in, how quickly these players make these teams, these coaches, these owners, the NFL, just look foolish. And, you know, that's just not something that they really want to deal with. That's not something, you know, nobody, no team, no owner, wants some player to go and completely misrepresent their franchise because they can't stay out of trouble. Um, So I, I I agree, man. It's sad to see a guy who had so much potential really honestly just kind of blow it um, in the last, like you said, about the last three to four months. But I just don't know if he at this point has enough time to repair any of that image. Um, So it'll be interesting to see heading into, you know, the last uh, month, month and a half uh, before the draft. Um, But moving on. There's not a ton to talk about in terms of linebackers. Um, Now, well, let me correct that. There's always a lot to talk about about the townhouse. There's freaking a ton of players. Um, But, obviously, Jalen Smith didn't participate. um, We'll talk about him in a second in terms of some of the revelations. Um, But two two guys um, at linebacker that really, really showed up um, one being, and I want to get your opinion on whether or not you feel um, he's really a first-round prospect, is Ohio State linebacker Darren Lee. Um, he had a great combine in terms of numbers, very athletic. Um, here's my thing. He had great combine as a linebacker at 230 pounds. You cannot play linebacker at 230 pounds in the NFL. You can play like a box safety linebacker idea, and I can understand that to a degree, but I don't know how much I see that with him, but he is not only athletic, so it could happen. Um, but what I don't like is that I haven't had this guy in the first round in months, and nobody did, until the combine. And the thing that I constantly saw about this kid was kind of the same thing that people discussed about with Leonard Floyd, of, okay, yeah, great, decent prospect. Where are you going to play him? His size leaves a little bit to be desired, and you wonder if he's big enough to play the linebacker position, and you wonder if he's too big to play the safety position. Um, so, I want to get your opinion on Darren Lee the combine and how, where do you feel he translates in the NFL position wise, and is he a first round prospect in your opinion?
1: Darren Lee is an interesting guy. I mean, every year there's always this freak that just comes out of nowhere that kind of like, you know, who the heck is this guy? Well, this year, it's definitely Darren Lee. You definitely talked about his value coming up from being a second-round pick. Um, you know, he was a borderline, borderline first-round pick at the beginning of this this whole draft process. But you look at Darren Lee, and last year, he had a teammate that went before him. I mean, people see him like Zach Brown. He's a little undersized, um, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. But then again, he had a teammate last year that went in the first time with a great combine that he freaky fast. Um, I still think he's a linebacker at this level. Uh, he ran a four four seven. 4 He showed some freaky explosion at 36 inches in the jump. Um, combine freak. But just because he's a combine freak doesn't make him an NFL superstar. This should change his athleticism. And obviously, Darren Lee has it. I think he can improve his stock even more. Don't be surprised if a team takes him in the top 15. Yes, I said it. Um, because, as I've said before, teams are still looking at freaky combine numbers as an indicator that he's going to be a freaky player. That's failed logic, but Lee helps himself from being a borderline first-round pick now to the point where he honestly the top 15. That's how crazy it is. You know, Ryan Shazier, like I said, last year Ryan Shazier um, was fast. He was quick. He was freaky. And he went pretty hard. You know, He's going to have to be, get a little bit bigger, and he's going to have to get in the perfect scheme. Because if he gets in the scheme that doesn't fit him, you will not him probably for a while but if he gets in the right team and is a piece with some other good linebackers I'd love to see him in um, the Vikings but I think the Vikings have their eyes on Cody Whitehair
0: Um, that's
1: different but I think his value has not only increased to the first round but he might go top 15 Do
0: you think a team like the Saints would consider him at 12? Say that again? Do you think a team like the Saints would consider him at 12?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I, last year they picked some guys that were athletically really good, active. You know, I think that would be a very good team for him. I think the Falcons might look at them. Um, The Falcons let go of some guys. Uh, you know, even a team such as the St. Louis Rams. I mean, they just like James Laurinaitis, um last week. Uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but – just teams that would want an instinctively quick linebacker, going with a quick hitch, um, I think that he can really do it. Um, you know, he had 10 different accolades around college football, which is a ton, but Ohio State keeps putting out these athletic linebackers, and I think he's another one that
0: – he's not
1: Ryan Chazier. Ryan Shazier is a lot range, has more range, which by range, I mean that he can move across the field better. Lee, I think, is going to be a downhill linebacker that would be effective shooting the gap and bringing down the ball carrier in the backfield compared to Shazier as a guy that's going to make plays all over the field.
0: Very nice. I just, I would like to see him at at least 5, 10 pounds, at least bulk up just a little bit. Um, wide receivers and running backs have never been bigger. Um, and at that size, he is a little bit at risk to not being – you know, able to wrap up some of these bigger guys and bigger athletic tight ends. But I still, you know, I agree with you. I could see a team going that high on him. um, But I still have him, in my opinion, um, towards the end of the first round in terms of value just because of other positions and how good this draft is defensively. Um, But one guy, Dave, that didn't even work out the linebacker position, um, but really, really just has seemed to blow up part of it's due to phenomenal interviews and people just going, well, he can't work out. So I guess we'll just continue to look at his tape. And then they just remember why they fell in love with the kid in the first place is miles Jack, uh, linebacker, UCLA. Um, you know, there was a report, uh, that NFL teams felt he could legitimately play five different positions in the NFL. Um, if I had to make any guess, in my opinion, you're saying three linebacker position, safety, and running back, like you did in college, because otherwise I'm not sure what the other two would be if you're just saying linebacker, safety, and, and running back. Um, but his athleticism is duly noted. He will work out at his pro day despite you know him not working out at the combine because of the injury. Um, but this is a guy who we're starting to see now creep up not only into the top ten, but to the top five. Um, we've seen potentially, um, and now that they've gone and cut a linebacker today, which we'll talk about soon, San Diego, Dallas, um, San Diego, Dallas, Jacksonville, Baltimore, pretty much three through ten any one of those teams. Even, honestly, Tennessee, if they really feel he's the best player in the draft. Um, But any team three through ten right now is a legitimate possible taker on Miles Jack. Um, do you think he's the best prospect defensively in this draft? The best all-around defensive player?
1: Um, I would say second best. I, I really think that he, he's a unique talent. He played every almost every position um, at linebacker. He's got rangy skills to um, be a safety. He played running back a little bit. Um, you know, he doesn't have that pro-tip uh he's six one two fifty. But he's the guy that is just gonna completely blow away a team. Um UCLA's been pranking out the linebackers and he's just another you know, back when we had all these great other UCLA linebackers come out, you know, they're like, Oh, this guy's good, this guy's good But who did you always keep hearing about? Miles Jack. People were talking about Miles Jack when he was a freshman. And, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of freshmen getting talked about that earlier in their career. The only guys I can think of last time that I heard as freshmen more was Marcus Lattimore. Um, for one, I'm a South Carolina guy, so I, I knew that. Um, another one going out going out to um, Oregon, Marcus Mariota. Um, yeah, he wasn't a freshman, but it just his playability at a young age, I think – I really think that Miles Jack could be almost a future All-Pro. I think he's a lot like Carlos Dansby, um, instinctively a very good football player. He's not as big as Dansby, but I think Miles Jack is a guy that if anyone drafts him in the top ten, they're getting a guy as long – if he stays healthy, and I think he will be –
0: I mean, he only
1: tore his meniscus, which – um, that, yeah, it does hurt. Um, I slightly tore my meniscus probably a few years ago and still played on most of it. But, you know, the kids was definitely going to come out this year. You're looking at a future guy that could be a pro bowler, a guy like like Carlos Dansby to me. People have him as a rope and Patrick Willis, wherever you want to go with it. Um, he's a pretty doggone good player. And, Behind Jalen Ramsey being yes, I've uh, Jalen Ramsey proved everything this week to me that I didn't see before in athleticism. So sorry, sorry Jalen, but I think that's where his value lies. He will go top ten no matter what. Even with this, I think as pro day, he's going to blow away everyone. He's going to have a great day. Even if he does a decent day, I think teams are pretty much sold on his character. Because that's one thing that's through the roof with him. He, he's a team player, first guy. And, you know, he's the guy. I've seen a lot of buzz on him going anywhere from top three to top ten. He will not go past – I believe he won't go past the Miami Dolphins if he's still on the board at that point.
0: No, I can almost – I agree with you. There's no way he makes it past Miami. Um, and, honestly, I'm fighting it harder and harder to believe he makes it past Jacksonville. I think even if Ronnie Stanley's there, they'll go with Miles Jack to load up on defensive players um and address the the offensive line later on. Um I have a hard time seeing Miles make it on the top five at this point. Um but yeah, he's arguably one of the best players in the draft. Um and arguably, you know, maybe like you said, kind of the that that one B or two if you if you want to give him a full knock back behind Jalen Ramsey um, but one other linebacker to discuss that I want to discuss is the other guy who didn't participate but his stock took a hit um, and and depending on at first when he was healthy and they were both healthy and originally even at first when they both got injured it, it, a lot of people will tell you they thought Jalen Smith was the better overall linebacker prospect over Miles Jack Um, But that being said, Jalen suffered a much more significant injury. Like you said, Dave, my only tore his meniscus. Um, Jalen tore his AC and his MC, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And that, you know, that takes a long time to come back from. And that being said, the medical reports at the combine said that there was a chance he may not come back at all in 2016. Now, I don't believe that, um, honestly, personally, for two reasons. One, we've seen that twice, two or three times in the last, like, two or three years with players with torn ACLs at the end of the season. Um, for some, didn't work good. Robert Griffin. For others, Todd Gurley, worked fine. Um, and I think that Jalen may not come to until, like, the middle of the season, but even then, I think that the the potential on this kid will still be enough. But the – the possibility of that is starting to see Jalen Smith and Mox fall out of the first round. Do you think that happens? Yeah,
1: I, I, I do think it happens only because it's, for me, it's not the ACL, MCL, whole tear thing. The science is better now. Um, obviously Peterson and many others have proved that, that people come back better from that stuff but the word that people are saying he's having some nerve damage might be concerning to me. It, it, I think with your nerves gone, the, the losing the feeling in it is going to really take a hit on just, you know, certain things. And that concerns me a little bit more. Will Jalen Smith go later than the second round? No. I think a team's going to pick him up and they're going to stash him away. A team that, for one, might not need a linebacker. Um, they might get him and stash him away and have a future plan for him and say, well, we've got a decent guy that, you know, could void avoid a team like the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, Kobe Misi restructured today. they um, just like, well, Kobe Misi is not what we wanted, but we got Jalen Smith ready to go. Yeah, that could happen. Uh, and Miami does need a linebacker. But just to point out, certain teams that don't need linebacker. I think, might take a look at him. Uh, a team, even so far as the Seattle Seahawks, um, that would be scary, but you know, teams without needs build on good positions because they can gauge upside well mm-hmm. might be where his value lies. Now, if someone wants to take a chance on him in the first round and say, you know, we'll take a chance on you, we'll have you back to 100%, I think that would probably be his ideal placement. Um, I think he'll probably go in the top of the second round, in my opinion, as of right now.
0: Which is also crazy for a guy, again, who, you know, was widely looked at as a top 10 prospect. Um, but it is unfortunate, but it may be best for him. You know, we've seen the situation before where. Uh, An injury, sometimes character concerns, not a huge deal in Jalen's case. Um, But injuries sometimes cause a guy to fall, but they cause a guy to fall right to where he belongs in terms of a perfect team fit. Um, So hopefully that's the case for Jalen Smith. Um, He won't be participating in the pro day or anything like that. We'll be able to see him work out. Um, But it'll be interesting to to track his progress going on. Um, Plenty of other guys we could talk about, though, but, we only have so much time. I want to cover real quick uh, the cornerbacks um, and then head into some of the cuts and stuff and wrap up. Um, but quarterbacks slash stage, we'll just call it defensive back. Um, but let's talk about it. Obviously, if you had to pick a winner, I don't know who you'd pick, but my winner overall in the combine and winner in the defensive back category, we just touched on a little bit ago, Jalen Ramsey. Um he showed up to the Combine, and he just absolutely flourished. He, he ran a great 40. I think it was a four four two. Um He, you know, every bit of the Combine, all physical tests, he tested incredibly well, interviewed well, has a good head on his shoulders, kind of showed that ability to be able to play corner or safety, depending on what team he goes to or how they feel about his, his one-on-one skills instead of playing in space. Um, but Jalen is absolutely, honestly, in my opinion, not only locked himself as probably the best player in the draft, but may have put the Titans in a place to make history in terms of being the first safety, and I think even defensive back, selected number one overall since the AFL-NFL merger. I'm pretty positive I read that stat on Bleacher Report the other day. Um, that no safety or defensive back has been taken number one overall in the draft since the merger, Um, and Jalen will be the first But There's some real buzz and real potential behind it. After the Combine, three, at least three of NFL and Bleacher Report's biggest mock draft writers had Jalen Ramsey going number one overall to the Titans over – Laramie tunsel just because they need a safety and Jalen just seems to be honestly pretty much the best back to the draft and the best safety prospect we've seen in some time um, probably honestly since Eric Berry and Earl Thomas oh, um, sure. yeah um, so I think that, that, that he obviously walked away with the trophy um, in that sense but look at the top corner prospects. Um, Vernon Hargreaves, uh, Eli Apple, Kendall Fuller, um, William Jackson, Artie Burns, you know, there some of the top, you know, round, top two round quarterback or cornerbacks had some pretty solid workouts, including Burns out of Miami and Apple out of Ohio State. Um, but if you had to pick a winner out of those group of guys that really kind of took the combine and put themselves out ahead as that number two defensive back prospect. Who do you think really who set themselves apart being that second player behind Jalen? Well, I still gotta give it to Hargreaves
1: just because he had a great week, even though his numbers weren't popping, uh he had a lot of great interviews. A lot of people were just um really high on what he had to offer. They say he's, you know, solid. He's gonna be a good starter. Um, A guy that also impressed me was Jackson from Houston. Uh, He was kind of on the radar at the beginning of the week. He he was a mid-second-round pick. I'm starting to hear that he might go in the late first round, um, possibly top of the second, Um, had a blazing 40, showed real good athleticism, um, good ball skills. Um, He really helped himself this week. He might be in contention to be over, Apple, but, you know, I think that Apple's still probably the third best guy. There hasn't really been any separation in corners. Um, A lot of guys help themselves, maybe from being the third or fourth best corner to, you know, I think Hargreeze and Ramsey are probably still the top two guys. Um, I've heard Ramsey go to number one overall. I have seen that. What scares me about that is I've done a cross study in the last 10 years and Most of the top corners, with the exception of probably three or four, typically do not pan out. And with that being said, I'm not saying I've heard this from scouts personally because I've talked to a few at the college career showcase and guys that text me that it's mixed emotions. Ramsey either is going to be this prospect that is going to be the next Richard Sherman, a guy that is going to be Patrick Patterson, which a lot of people see him like, Um, or that he's going to totally flop and just be average. I mean, we've seen so many corners, Justin Gilbert, um, et cetera, et cetera. There's been a whole bunch of guys that have been solid working out, have been solid in this and that, but just haven't panned out to be that number one corner. Typically, it's either the second or third corner in the draft class that ends up being the superstar, Um, you know, Marcus Peters last year, even though Peters had issues. It, it just seems that the third, second, or third corner is the one that usually makes the impact, not the first one that tests real well and has the freaky everything. I just, I've seen it and I do follow trends. Though every draft class is unique in its own special way, it's just, it's telling that history shows that the number one corner sometimes doesn't out to be the best guy. It's usually the second or third option. Will Ramsey be the guy? Eh, maybe. Um, should he go number one overall? Absolutely not. I, I think that the Titans can do better in the, the later rounds to get a guy, or even if they're unsure with Tunsell, trade down. Get one of those second or third corners that could be solid for you. If Ramsey turns out to be legit, I can say, just like Jimmy Bosa, Tell me I'm wrong. I'm not a perfect scout. There's no perfect scout in the league. If there's perfect scouts in the league, it wouldn't be fair. I mean, every year there's guys that either are studs and people get them right and there's people that miss on them. I mean, that's the natural and beauty of the business. It's a game every year. Can you figure out who's going to be the next superstar? That's it. So will Ramsey be it? We'll see. But he's not worth the number one overall to me.
0: I like it. I like it. Uh, I actually agree. I feel like Byrne definitely uh pretty much solidified himself as the number two defensive back. Alexander, McKenzie Alexander uh, Clemson was unable to work out due to injury. Um, so he did not play or practice or showcase, whatever. Um, but it definitely was a very interesting um combine. Um And uh, I have to say, if I had to pick winners and losers, like I said, my winner was Jalen Ramsey overall. I feel like he uh, undoubtedly, you know, set himself apart from everybody else in terms of athleticism. Uh, But if I had to choose a loser, um, it's hard. You know, I want to choose a loser based off of the athletic performances um, you know, a guy maybe who didn't do well or pulled a hammy or, you know, and, you know, maybe he leaned towards the boats or whatever, but I have to go with Robert Candice. Um, you know, and he really just walked in, annihilated his stock, um, and it was hard to watch, um, honestly. Um, we actually, one thing real quick that I wanted to know news-wise before I get to Winner and Losers that, um Some other notes from the combine on the top three QBs. You know, you talked about Goff, a Paxton, um, medical concerns with both knees and an AC joint in the arm. Um, And today it was reported that he could also suffer a slide because he, quote-unquote, was aloof in interviews with NFL uh, executives and scouts and and GMs and whatnot. Um, So there was a chance he could slide once. Came out pretty clean. In terms of stock, no damage done, not a lot of increase, just kind of standing pat in golf, like you said, um, Dave, is that, you know, on the field he looked good. Um, There has apparently been some murmurs about his potential interviews um, being, you know, maybe a little shaky at first. Um, But if you had to pick a winner and a loser from this year's Combine, the 2016 Combine, who would be your winner and loser? Well, I'm going to go
1: and I'm going to spin this away um, just from all the hype and the top school guys um, and top guys in the country. Uh, if no one knows that, I'm actually an acorn hunter, which uh, acorn hunter, gem hunter, diamonds in the rough, whatever you want to call it. That's one of my specialties, and a lot of people either forget that or they know that's what I'm known for. It's not just that I'm a draft expert, which I think Joe puts me on a really high pedestal. Um, he's up there, too. But uh, I think a guy that really helped me this week was from Grand Valley State was Matt Juden. Um, had a really great week. He interviewed with a whole bunch of teams. He tested real well. He ran a four seven as a defensive end, 30 reps, um, 35 on the actual vertical. Um, just extremely productive at Grand Valley. And I think he helped himself, and Joe talked about it earlier, that, you know, Some of these guys were border draft picks. This guy, I think, helped himself not only solidify himself as a draft pick, but from probably sixth to seventh round grade, he might go late fifth round if he has another good pro day. I'm sure he'll have a pro day here in the next week or two, which that's going to be a whole new saga and an exciting one, too. I think he helped himself this week a lot. And, you know, with this year being so many different pass rushers, um, guys that are in the late rounds, Guys like, you know, uh, I could go with Jonathan Woodard from Central Arkansas. I could go um, Jake Payne from Shenandoah. I mean, there's a whole bunch of great pass rushers this year late in the draft. I think that Matt helped himself extremely. Like, you know, it's light and day of how much he helped himself this week. And a guy that – and you already said that I was – you actually took the guy I was going to pick. Um, that Camdiche just, you know, you can't do that. You threw your guys under the bus and you're not showing maturity. He went from a first, uh, a late first round grade to now possibly anywhere from round three to undrafted. I mean, you just don't do that. He shot himself in the foot. It wasn't a good week for him. And Joey Bosa, just the cockiness, it, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way and I think he he didn't really kill his draft status because he proved it on the field, but I worry about how he's going to take it going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. I just, I, I don't know. And Some of the guys that hurt their stock, you really just had a question what the heck they were thinking coming into this. Um, and it just, it kind of blew me away, honestly. Um, it was an interesting combine, though, but real quick, we got about 15 minutes left take some time to talk about some cap cuts, what it means for potentially your team as we head deeper into the NFL offseason free agency coming up soon. March 9th is that uh, ever so important day for so many teams, the start of the the official start of the league season. A lot of, you know, a lot of contracts that have any guaranteed salary language take effect that day. Uh, so expect the moves just to keep on rolling in. Um, some of the things we've seen, Texans touch running back Arian Foster. Uh, that was a move that we all kind of saw coming. Um, He's been off injured. He would count a lot against the cap, and the Texans really just kind of needed to to shed their old identity and try to build a new tier. Um, with that, Dave, do you think that, you know, even with the need a quarterback, et cetera, et cetera, Uh, how much more do you think has put them in play at a potential uh, Ezekiel Elliott or Derrick Henry in the first round?
1: Uh, It's definitely in play. I'm 75% sure that's probably who they're going after, unless Carson Wentz or maybe Jared Goff falls that far, Uh, either of those guys being on the board at that point. Um, But I think that there's some connection points with quarterbacks in the second round, um, with coach and the staff. So I'm thinking definitely they're thinking running back in the first round. They have to be at this point. You know, if they weren't confident with Foster, they would have kept him, and this would have been a different story. But, you know, Foster's hurt. Obviously, they their running back field is pretty light. I think that Foster could be a guy that goes to Dallas, goes to Denver, but – Definitely, the Texans are definitely probably targeting either Ezekiel Elliott or Terry Henry in the first round this year.
0: Very nice, very nice. I agree. I think that, like you said, unless the quarterbacks, there, running back to especially now with Foster being gone to be the obvious pick. Um, Panthers cut defensive end Charles Johnson to free up some cap space. Um, they signed him to an exorbitant deal uh, right before Gatlin took over at GM and uh, he just didn't really pan out, didn't really live up to the deal. No shocker there. The Chargers cut linebacker Vic Butler two seasons into a nearly $52 million deal. Again, though, expected after what we had seen out of him play-wise the last few seasons. Um, The Jags today released Chris Clemens and Zane Beatles. The the Ravens cut linebacker Daryl Smith. Um, trying to think of there. I any mean, Mario Williams released by the Bills. Uh, like you said, Dave, we weren't able to get to it last week. St. Louis released James Laurinaitis, Chris Long, and why am I going to forget the last one? Cook. Yes, Jared, Jared Cook, Cook, the tight end Jared Cook. Um, uh, and some some cap-saving moves last week. Um uh, a lot of these moves obviously made with the intention of freeing up some money um, for the third year in a row, as Tash pointed out, there's rumors that the Cowboys could be parting ways with cornerback Brandon Carr, uh, again, in a cost-cutting move. Um, but overall, they, we saw the start, the real start of cap cuts um, with a lot of those guys. But one of the teams that made some cuts that opened up even more space is the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, the Jaguars now are going to walk into free agency with near $70 million in, in cap space. Um, that being said, where do you see the Jags heading in terms of where do you... what? What groups or positions or or side of the ball do you see them focusing on in free agency this year?
1: Well, I'm just going to point this out early, that I do feel like they're going to try to um, take care of their own first, probably use about 25 to maybe $30 million to get their own, meaning that they're going to try to get some of the young playmakers longer deals to make sure that they're going to stay in Jacksonville. They don't have to worry about this. But then I feel like they've set their platform to go after certain guys like an Olivier Vernon. Yes, he was um, trans, uh, um, got a transition tag from the Miami Dolphins this last week, but that won't stop them. I mean, twelve point two $12.2 million isn't much to Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, when you have $70 million to throw around, I mean, you can pretty much rule the free agency. Um, they could go after a guy like Eric Weddle and pair them him with Jonathan Sifrian. they could go after um, a shutdown corner in the free agency. The, I mean, the possibilities are endless for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, they do have their quarterback and Blake Bortles is the guy. They have their receiving core. Uh, I think I fully expect them to upgrade their secondary, um, add some pass rush, and probably still be conservative to the point and maybe bring out Stefan Winsky or even a guy that they targeted last year, Joe, and I talked about this off camera. Alex Mack was a big target from them, but Mack decided to stay in Cleveland. But um, Mack has just announced he voided the contract with the Browns, so he is officially a free agent as well. That will be a hot name for the Jacksonville Jaguars to upgrade that offensive line, keep Blake Bortles. But I, I just have a feeling that Jacksonville wants to hold on to some cash to re-sign some of their own to longer contracts to keep Blake Bortles around, Alan Hearns, Alan Robinson, etc., etc., et, cetera, et cetera, um, to take care of their own before they go out and shop big.
0: I think the Jags are a team that are really going to try to amp up, and, and Gus knows that this is a very important year. He needs to win more games. He needs to win six, seven, eight games at least this year uh, to feel comfortable about his job, and I think that, you know, like Tyler said today, guys like Eric Weddle, uh, Olivier Vernon, um, Bruce Urban, uh, Malik Jackson, if he hits free agency, uh, Alex Mack, like you said, Dave, Alex Boone, um, there are a lot of free agents out there that are positions of need for the Jaguars, and they can undoubtedly go after, and they have the cap space to make all of it happen. Um, but, like you said, there, there's some chances that they can try to be smart with this. Caldwell's been a pretty intelligent GM, and I think that he could, he could like you said, maybe try to lock up some of these guys to an early deal. But we also got to remember these agents, these agents these days are pretty slick. If I'm Alan Robinson's agent, I say, no, 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 no. You play out that rookie contract, kid, because when you're done – you're looking at like a seventy, eighty million, $80 payday probably if you keep it up. Um, so it, it'll depend on, on how well they can try to work some of those deals in um, with some of their own. But I think it's very, very uh, apparent that they're going to be one of the biggest spenders, along with the Oakland Raiders who have a lot of cap space, The Bears with nearly $50 million, I feel like they're going to be kind of active this year um, for the first time in a little while. Um, so I think it'll be fun to watch. I think free agency is going to be really crazy this year. If um, You look at uh, some of the other cuts. The Panthers, they just want to free up some space, you know, have options heading into a free agency. The Texans, you know, we kind of already talked about it in you know, the space and, and moving on in terms of uh, moving on to a new regime. The Chargers and Butler, that was more or less not necessarily just about money, but the franchise realizing that was just a deal they never should have made. Um the, too much money for a guy was way unproven, um, in my opinion. And unfortunately that is the the way that things go in the NFL these days. Um but two other or a few other things, um we had some signings, uh Bryce McCain signed with the Titans, um, some extensions. We've had a flurry of extensions to a lot of teams. Um but Joe Flacco agreed with the Ravens to a three year extension to put him in a Baltimore uniform until twenty twenty one. Uh, the three years came at about $66.4 million with $40 million guaranteed. Um, some other quarterback news, the Washington Redskins tagged quarterback Kirk Cousins as they were unable to come to terms on a deal. Uh, not really sure how that will pan out heading into the season, whether or not he'll sign it or they'll get a long-term deal done or they may, quote-unquote, possibly trade him. Um, anything's possible in Dan Snyderland. Uh The Philadelphia Eagles re-signed quarterback Sam Bradford, two-year, $36 million deal, $26 million guaranteed. guaranteed, um, but it was cap-hit friendly, only about $7 million in cap-hit um, coming off the books for the Eagles, or $12 million coming off the books for the Eagles for that particular cap-hit as opposed to the 18 per year that he's actually going to get. Um Joe, can
1: meeting. I Um, you, you forgot to mention a key release um, due to I wouldn't say cap space, but uh, or maybe it was cap space. Um, long time Atlanta Falcon Roddy White got released. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I just want. I know we only got five minutes left in the show. Um, this is my opinion on the Roddy White thing. Roddy White is a Falcon and always will be a Falcon, even if he ends up signing with someone else this year. I feel that his days in Falcons. This is just temporary. I feel like he's being released, and I think that he will rework a contract with them, um, something less. Uh, I just think with the amount going on the cap at the current time wasn't right. So Dimitri said, "Hey, we've got to cut you. Uh, we'll give you a call back in around free agency time." I think he'll get probably a two-year. Maybe five million dollar contract. I think he was making close to seven million last year. That it was a huge cut. Uh, Falcons love Roddy White. Uh, he will always be a Falcon to everyone. I mean, he's been there his whole career. So that was just a note name that I think that we forgot to look over and kind of talk about.
0: No, you're totally right. Yeah, that was definitely a big uh, a big time one. Um, he was even saying that he would not desire to play anywhere else in his career. Um, so it'll be interesting. Like I agree with you. I think there's a good chance they could rework a deal to bring him back to that team in a, at a much, much more team friendly expense. Um think Manny has not officially announced his retirement. Uh, we have about six days before that comes to a head. Um, so that'll be interesting. But that's where we're going to wrap it up for tonight, guys. Um, the, the latest news notes and all that good stuff. We'll, I'm sure we'll see more cuts, more signings. We'll try to keep the pages updated. Again, Hit us up, facebook.com, backslash the official direct snap. Twitter, at direct underscore snap. We will be back, same time, same place. But next week, we're going to bring the fun. Um, we, Dave and I, have agreed to, about a half hour ago, um, to do a... First round mock draft, live, next Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and we are going to alternate snake pick the draft. So we do not know who each other is going to take for what team, so we're going to have to be on our toes next week. It's going to be fun. It's going to be live. It's going to be awesome. Uh, Everybody, you know, we like to read mock drafts. That's always fun and everything, but why not tune in for a live, breakdown, and selection for our first round mock draft next week with you boys David West and Joe Klein. We hope to uh, have some callers, some some listeners some tune in. Uh, give us a shout. Give us a pick even. We'll give a fan selection or two next week. If you want to give us a shout and make the selection for your team next week, feel free to give us a call. 714-333-3302. We would love Love to have that. So uh, for you boys at the Direct Snap and for our our long-lost but still very loved co-host, Tyler McMullen, David West, and myself, wishing the Direct Snap and a good night. Take care, everyone.